16 years old, I'm in seventh grade, it's a Friday night at Thomas Jefferson Middle School in Valparaiso, Indiana, and there's a big fall party. There were games like carnival style with prizes that all the junior high kids loved. There was also a dance floor with a DJ playing pop music. This was 1990, the year that CNC Music Factory's Everybody Dance Now just came out. <laughs> Gonna make you sweat. I will not sing the first line for you. There were hundreds of kids there. All my friends were there. I was wearing jeans and a sweater. And I was very self-conscious about this sweater because I liked this sweater, but I wasn't sure if I was supposed to like this sweater. Like, was this sweater cool? I wasn't sure, but I liked it. I kept straightening it. About 10 minutes into being at the Friday night party, uh, I have this urge to fix my hair. I don't know where this urge came from, but I, I just have this feeling like I need to fix my hair. Now, my hair at the time was almost the exact same as this. There's not a lot to do here. <laughs> but I, I desperately want to be cool. And I have this sense, I need to go fix my hair to be cool. So I go into the bathroom to fix my hair to be cool. The Westminster Confession of Faith Shorter Catechism, question number one asks this, what is the chief end of man? <laughs> By which it means, what is life's ultimate purpose? This was written in 1646. I'm going somewhere with this, hang on. You'll notice the gender-exclusive language in this shorter catechism because it was 1646, and it also picks it up in its answer, which it uses of God, gender-exclusive language, which the answer is this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, if you had told me this in seventh grade, I would have laughed in your face and told you, you were wrong. Because everybody knows that the chief end of humankind, I would have told you, was to be cool. <laughs> and if God could not aid me in that endeavor, what was the point of God? <laughs> so there I am in the bathroom of Thomas Jefferson Middle School, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm looking into my own eyes, and I am evaluating, assessing, judging myself of whether or not I am cool. And I'm willing myself to just be cool. And I have this sense, maybe if I apply a little water to my hair and give it a wet look, I'll be cooler. So I grab some water, and I put it in my hair, and I apply it, and I push my hair to the side. And I grab a little more water, and I push it to the side, and a little more, and a little more, and I keep going. I have not practiced this. I have no idea what I'm doing. And you might be thinking, isn't this what hair gel is for? But I don't know what hair gel is, because I've never done this before. I just know that I need to be cool, and maybe if I wet my hair, I'll look a little cooler. But after applying about a liter of water, my hair is like completely wet, like dripping wet. This is one of those memories like I have very clear in my mind. Like, you know how you have those memories? I mean, what is human memory? I don't know. But we have those clear memories, or we think they're clear. But I am watching myself in the mirror, and I can see my hair dripping wet. I go grab paper towels to try to dry it. 
And then I'm standing there looking in the mirror. I realize I now look the same, but just like totally wet hair. And I can't go back to the dance floor. People are going to be talking like, what happened to David in the bathroom? But my only question is, do I look cool? And I'm looking into the mirror at myself and I hear a voice say to me, no, you do not look cool. Look at you. Look at your hair. Look at your sweater. Look at your stupid arms just hanging there. You are not cool. (sighs) Okay, whoa. Even just telling that story. We are in the Lent season, and we're in a teaching series that we are calling No Yes. We're considering what we might renounce or say no to, and what we might instead announce and say yes to. And so this morning, we're going to consider Jesus' invitation to judge not. And in particular, I want to explore how we can move from self-judgment to self-compassion. And how we do that. So we're going to read Jesus' words on this where he says, judge not. This comes from Matthew chapter 7, 1 and 2. So it's very short. Do not judge, Jesus says, so that you may not be judged. For the judgment you give will be the judgment you get. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Now, there are, broadly speaking, two interpretive traditions concerning these verses. Okay, So the first interpretive tradition points to a relationship between human and divine judgment. Okay, That there's a causal or direct relationship between the two, between human judgment and divine judgment. And the more you engage in judgment, oh humans, the more you will be judged by God. Okay? So you might want to refrain (laughs) from judgment (laughs) so that it will go well for you because the measure, the intensity of judgment, that's coming back. Okay? So watch out. The other interpretive tradition looks at these verses instead as a reflection of inner dynamics within each person. So our judgment of others is really a reflection of our own internal self-judgment because the part of ourselves that's activated in judgment towards other people is also activated by our own behavior or looks or character, whatever, and we become trapped in a cycle of judgment, which we might diagram like so. And the measure you give is the measure you get from ourselves. And so to be happy means trying to get out of this cyclical system of judgment. This is, of course, like a more kind of psychological view, right? That Jesus is offering a warning about falling into this trap, this psychological trap of self-judgment. And it will go much better if you just stay clear of the whole thing. All right, now... Either of these interpretive traditions could be onto something. They could both be true. They're not mutually exclusive. And in either case, the lesson is the same. Jesus is advising against judgment. It's not going to go well for you if you judge. So don't do it. (laughs) 
Stay away from it. And stay away from self-judgment. That would be included in that advice. Okay, so this sounds pretty straightforward. Like, awesome. Don't judge. Hallelujah. Let's go home. There's just one problem. It's not possible (laughs) to not judge. In fact, judgment is a fundamental and basic and good part of human life. We are creatures of judgment. And the Bible agrees. In fact, the Bible frames our human judgment as part of the divine image, a good thing, which we can see in the opening book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1. God creates the world and everything in it, and God immediately starts judging it. He calls things good. That's a judgment. Then God, at the crown of creation, creates humankind in God's image, and we are then endowed with the faculties of judgment that we can determine, like God, what is good and what is not good. Our survival and well-being depends on clear-sided judgment of what is good versus what is bad, what is right versus what is wrong, whether or not daylight saving time is good (laughs) or not. And when it comes to people, we are constantly assessing and judging and evaluating because we need to know which people we can trust and why and on what grounds and which people we ought not to trust because they're seeking to do harm to us. That's really useful information. Obviously, there's a big spectrum of that, right? So figuring out clear-sighted discernment and judgment, that is a lifelong process of growth and maturity. In short, judgment is a gift. It is a gift that reflects God, and it's necessary for human life and well-being. So then we go back to Jesus, who tells us, judge not. What's going on? In what sense does he mean don't judge? Well, like so many human gifts and abilities, judgment can be used badly. It can go wrong. It can become unhealthy. We can start to judge ourselves and others in overly anxious, accusatory, and condemning ways. And this is what Jesus understands, that what was intended as gift can become something harmful. Our interior voices of judgment can start berating us, telling us how dumb we are, ugly, incompetent, uncool, even with wet hair we are. Recently, I've been reading a book called No Bad Parts by Richard Schwartz. Uh, Dr. Schwartz is the creator of what's called Internal Family Systems, or IFS, which is an approach to therapy that looks at each person as a whole system of parts. So related to our topic today, IFS would suggest that our internal critics, our internal judgments, are parts of ourselves. And one of the foundational principles of IFS is that there are no bad parts, as the book title suggests, so that even those parts of us that are judging us, our interior critics, they arise out of a good place. They're trying to do something that they think is good. They're trying to protect us from something. 
They may not be doing it in the best way, but they're trying to do something. So going back to my example from middle school, as I was looking in that mirror, I'm hearing this voice of self-judgment, of condemnation. And I know that the voice was not helping me in the way that I needed, but it was trying to help because it was trying to protect me from the mob on the dance floor. It believed the standard of coolness that was handed to me. And it was warning me, like, David, you, you got to do something here because the mob will turn on you if you do not uphold the standard of coolness operating in your middle school. Now, that part was so activated and so condemning towards me. It was not helpful. And it just made me feel more anxiety, more shame. So I couldn't be myself. I couldn't really enjoy that party. I spent the entire night anxious about everything, you know, my sweater, my dance moves, whether or not my hair looked cool. The question then is, how do we recognize that our faculties of judgment, including our self-judgment, can be good, but sometimes they turn unhealthy? And how do we discern the difference? How do we follow Jesus' invitation to not allow judgment to become unhealthy? And harmful. Thankfully, there are tons of resources on this today. And broadly speaking, the invitation offered is to move from self-judgment to self-compassion. And that's what I want to talk about now. Self-compassion. To do so, I've created a chart to show a comparison between self-judgment and self-compassion. So the first difference is the posture In self-judgment, it's very accusatory. It's an accusation posture, finger-pointing. In self-compassion, the posture is acceptance. I am who I am. Thank God. The feelings associated with self-judgment in that condemning way are shame and frustration, anxiety, angst. In self-compassion, it's gratitude and joy and freedom. The energy in self-judgment is energy-draining. Versus in self-compassion, it's energy-producing. We feel lively, energized when we're operating in self-compassion. The role self-judgment plays, or it believes it's playing, is one of protector. Watch out, David. Watch out for that dance floor. But the role that self-compassion plays in us is the leader. It is our executive leader in us who can direct judgment in healthy ways and can do that, learn how to do that. And finally, the source, and I'm borrowing from IFS again to use that model. Our self-judgment comes from a part of us, but our self-compassion is rooted in what is called self. Self is our essential nature. It is who we are, our true humanity who God has made us to be. In the IFS model, it's defined by eight C's, and you can see them here. Calm, curiosity, clarity, connectedness, compassion, courage, confidence, creativity. All good C's. And there's a a lot of overlap, by the way, with this model of self with a lot of contemplative traditions in the Christian tradition. Uh, Like Richard Rohr would talk about self, or the true self, he he would call it. Back to self-compassion. When we are centered in ourself, in that true nature, 
we can still exercise our faculties of judgment, but we can do so in loving, in liberating, and in healing ways. We feel like there's just so much space. It's open. It's open because we've already accepted us and others. We can breathe. We feel free. We're, and we're free, actually, to even listen to those parts of ourselves that have something to tell us very loudly. We're free to listen to that. Let me give an example uh, more from more recent <laughs> history in my own life. Um, so here at Sanctuary, we record uh, all of our Sunday messages and we put them on a weekly podcast. So shout out to you podcast listeners. Hello. Including my mom who listens faithfully every week. Hi, mom. <laughs> Sometimes I will go back and I'll listen to my own messages. And this is a little fraught. <laughs> I know, so I lie to myself when I do this, and my lie is, I'm going to listen to figure out how to improve. <laughs> the human capacity to lie to ourselves is amazing. I mean, it just, like, you can smile, and then you're happier. You can even tell yourself, I'm going to smile now, and it's going to make me happier. <laughs> and, and, like, your brain's in on the gig, but it doesn't matter. You've still tricked yourself. Like, we can, anyway, you get it. So, uh, invariably what happens is I have two parts of myself activated when I listen to myself. One is this overly self-congratulatory guy, like, look at you, that was great, you know, you're awesome. I'm like, thank you, that's nice. Um, and then another part, of course, that is the self-critic that berates me over little mistakes or things or whatever. Ugh. Okay, so a couple months ago, I'm listening to myself, and I'm reviewing the tape, and I start to hear my internal critic, and he's got a lot to tell me. He's pointing out little mistakes here and there. Some of it's true, and some of it's useful, actually. But it changes, and I can feel it. I can feel the accusatory posture. I can feel the condemning pointing finger, the angst, the anxiety. And it starts to even tell me like, about things that I can't change, like the sound of my voice. Like you sound dumb, you know? Like if you sounded better, like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> or Sean Connery, like people would love it better, you know? <laughs> and which, you know, who can argue with that, right? If I sounded like Sean Connery, I don't know but I hear this part of myself and then I have a choice to make. How am I going to respond to this internal critic? How am I going to respond to my self-judgment? I could try arguing with it. I've tried that before. It doesn't seem to work. It gets louder, like me in an argument. <laughs> I'm working on that. I could just try ignoring it. You know, maybe it'll go away. Maybe. On this particular day, though, I, I decided to take some time with it. Just like, okay, let me just, let's see if I can hear it. So first I center myself, by which I mean I breathe a little bit, and I try to get in that posture of those C's, calm, curious, compassion. I'm going to accept what it has, who I am. 
So I'm centered, and I go back to that part of me. I say, okay, I hear you have something to tell me. What do you need to say? And, it, and then it just starts going, okay? And as it's going, though, I start to hear another part of me that's very quiet, but it has something to tell me, too. So I say, critical part, I hear you. I want to hear more, but give me a moment with this other part of me. And I listen. And this part of me has been hurt. I feel scared. And I understand what's happening. This very critical part of me is trying to protect this other part of me from what it perceives as a threat, a failure, or looking dumb, or whatever. So I do a little more work with all of this. I bring it to God in prayer. And by the end of this process, I feel freer. I feel lighter. I feel like I've experienced healing. And this critical part of me, like it no longer has as much angst or, or condemning tone. And I can still actually even listen to myself at this point and hear some things I could do differently or what I wish I would have done better. And it's fine. It's okay. It's okay that I don't even sound like Sean Connery. I can just be me. This is Jesus' invitation. Do not judge, Jesus says. Watch out for when your internal voices of judgment turn unhealthy and condemning. Embrace self-compassion, our compassionate selves, our essential nature, And we can embrace ourselves as God embraces us, as beloved humans made in God's image. I want to close then with a short exercise in self-compassion. So if you're willing to join me, get comfortable in your chair, however it helps you to get into a prayerful, mindful state. I'm going to borrow from another resource. This is from Kristen Neff, uh, who's got amazing work on self-compassion. Thanks, Pam. Pam helped me um, get a hold of this resource. Um, Okay, so this exercise, borrowing from this, it works best if you're willing to place a hand over your heart. Just take a couple breaths. And I'm going to walk us through some statements of self-compassion and see if you can just hear them and then claim them for yourself. May I embrace God's compassion. May I accept myself as I am. May I learn to accept myself as I am. May I be curious about myself. May I embrace all of my gifts. May I give myself the compassion that I need. May I embrace God's compassion. Amen.